Hey everyone, I'm Gracie. Welcome to the Grace of Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. Keep listening to hear the incredible journey this week's guest has been on. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. So tell me a little bit about how you've like been involved in military life and what that's been like. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> 17 years ago, I was just a 19 year old kid basically living in Florida. Um, and I happened to meet this Coast Guard guy who, you know, was pretty charming, you know, and the rest is kind of history, you know, so we've been together 17 years, married for 14. Um, But my introduction, I really didn't truly understand military life or know much about it. You know, the members of my family that had served had done so like in Vietnam and the Korean War and World War II. So there was nothing like right there. Um, But, you know, I was a sophomore in high school when 9-11 happened. And so, you know, watching all of our seniors and juniors run off and, you know, uh, enlist in the army right after that was, you know, pretty jarring. Um, and then obviously, you know, dating someone, um, that was in the coast guard, like that was just, it was just kind of like, hello. And now I can't imagine a life without it. You know, my husband the other day, he's like, do you realize that in just a couple of years, you will have been a coast guard spouse longer than you were anything else. And nobody really thinks about that, right? We talk so much about the military, but what an identity for us as well and for military kids. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I spent more time as a civilian child, um, you know, technically because my dad had time in service before I was born and when I was born and right after, and then he took a seven year break. And so most of my childhood was spent in the civilian kind of world. He worked in the correction as a corrections officer. And um, so like I had a pretty normal childhood and then he re-enlisted. And so I had like three years as like an actual military child. And then he ended up retiring due to his injuries. So like I didn't even have much time as, you know, technically a military child experiencing the life, but that's still who I am. That's my identity. And, you know, going through it, that's what you learn. You learn more than you do growing up as a civilian child than you do a military child. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. You know, I can't necessarily speak for my kids. My son is about to be 11. He doesn't know. Like when you ask him where he's from, he'll say Florida because that's where his dad and I are from. Like we're both from Florida, but, but he was born at Portsmouth Naval Hospital in Virginia. And he's traveled and lived in more states than I, you know, had ever even visited, you know, by the time I was in high school. But he doesn't really know any other life. Like my daughter's a lot younger, you know, she's four. And I mean, she might remember it. My husband will probably retire in the next four years, but it's going to be such a part of who my son is. So that's, I think that's going to be a loss for him. I mean, probably at some point he might be a little grateful that he gets a break from moving and he can have, you know, okay. um, something stable, but it's, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And I mean, he'd be fortunate enough to have, you know, most of his high school at the same, in yeah. the same school at that point. 
Um, and that's, you know, a huge struggle for a lot of military kids, but it's definitely a huge transition. I was, um, 12 when my dad retired. So it's just definitely a hard transition from, you know, being a military kid to being a civilian kid again, and, you know, not having my friends like moving every two years and being like, okay, time to make new friends and like going through that cycle or, you know, I didn't move much, but moving myself, you know, that's definitely a hard transition and a hard struggle as it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely going to be challenging. You know, we kind of like timed it right so that like our next move, because we're PCSing this summer, he will enter into middle school and it's a three-year tour. So he gets to be at one middle school. I mean, I don't necessarily have like rules by any means or like, you know, put my two cents in when it comes to where my husband chooses to go in terms of his job. But I was just really adamant that one middle school, one high school, like Mm -hmm. can't do much about elementary school. You know, we'll make sure that we get them in the best schools possible, but those are such formative years, you know? So we're very lucky that that's not going to be an issue for him. Yeah. And those are, you know, those formative years, those years where you pull them out of schools due to a move or something, it can be challenging. And I know people who have moved every single year of high school, and that's like the hardest thing. And you can't make your friends. You can't keep, you know, that's where you make lifelong friends for the most part. And you can't do that when you're constantly moving or when, you know, technically even your friends are constantly moving too. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard. It really is. Um, So this will be good. I think it's going to be hard for him. This move, though, I think he's more excited than anything. And I think that's because anytime we've lived somewhere where it's been uh, a military area, because as you know, the Coast Guard is the smallest branch. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't typically live around a lot of um, military folks. but, But for this last tour, we were right next to Scott Air Force Base. And so even though we live on the economy and he goes to, you know, public school that's not on base, I would say around 40% of the kids in that school are military affiliated. So he's seen people come and go, you know, so it it was the same, you know, where we were before we were in Cape May, it was 70% Coast Guard kids. So I think that honestly helps. Whereas if he was just like, if we were a small unit, it was just him. I think that would almost be harder. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that helped a little bit. Yeah. Having, you know, There are a lot of military kids who, you know, live on base or live right outside of base, but they still even choose to go to public schools because, you know, whether the military schools can accept many more kids or military schools are, you know, whatever the case may be for the family, if it's more convenient for our public schools, whatever it is, a lot of public schools right outside of these installations have tons of military kids in them and you know not often recognize that either and so having more military kids surrounding you and a couple civilian kids in there too is really important to you know learn the military life and learn the civilian life at the same time mm-hmm. absolutely no I agree that's a good balance right yeah there's a lot of civilian people I mean you know one percent are serving right so depending on where you are and where you're stationed, you know, you may encounter civilians that have no clue, you know, what it means, you know? So it's, yeah, I think that's a really good point, you know, bridging that divide. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who, you know, watched 9-11 happen, like you said, or, you know, we learn about it. It's our history now. And so we're like, okay, we're just learning about this, but nobody knows exactly kind of what the outcomes are 
of it. You know, we have post 9-11 and we have pre 9-11. That's how we classify most of our veterans now. And so, you know, showing these civilian kids who may have known nothing or these civilian families, even the parents to um, who have known nothing of military life and bringing them into kind of just see the military world um, and kind of what it is, even if it's just through a child, it's really something special. Mm-hmm. And I don't think enough emphasis has been placed on what children go through. You know, if you look at the statistics of, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that, you know, military kids are far, you know, more likely to have those um, kinds of diagnosis or symptoms um, when compared to their peers. I mean, we pay a lot of attention to the service member as we should, and we're just starting to, you know, tap into spouses and, you know, we're tracking, you know, things like dependent suicides, but I think we need more. We need Mm -hmm. so much more for these kids. You know, I'm kind of one of those overactive moms and it's probably because I'm a social worker myself, but anytime we move, I immediately sign my kid up for MFLAC or, you know, a social worker that's right there at the school. And it's not that there's something wrong, right? Right. It's that I want him to automatically have that third party there that he can vent to and talk to um, because I I think it's essential. I think it's important. You know, I can't prevent things, but I can set him up with all the resources so that when and if things start to happen, he's not lacking in in any kind of support. Yeah. And You know, when we moved to Texas, we had someone from MSAC who was in our schools with us. And like, she was like the most important person in my life. Like, we'd meet, can't remember how often we meet. It was like once a week or once every other week. And we'd just sit down. And it was a specific group for um, children who are of wounded warrior veterans. And so like, we'd all sit down, we'd all talk, we'd all chat, we'd all do these little activities. And that was like the most important thing to me, especially going into like sixth grade and fifth grade. Like that Mm -hmm. was the most important thing. And so having that there, you know, it was another outlet. I was able to learn things. Like we made these little stress balls one day, like, you know, just little things like that is so important. And you know, especially in these years of middle school, high school, you know, late elementary school, like it can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, you're making me feel better as a mom. <laughs> he's always like, why do I have to go? I don't understand. And I'm like, listen, buddy, like I can't be your counselor. I'm here yeah. as a mom. I have all, all the things in the world, but you're, you're going to talk to her too. And I don't even care if you just talk about your day. You just yeah. need that person, whatever it is. But you know, I think she's grown on him because even just the other day when I picked picked him up, he was like, oh, that's her. I was like, oh, you like her, huh? And he's like, yeah, she's <laughs> nice. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I know. My mom says it all the time. She's like, maybe you should listen to me more. And, you know, I'm 19. Like, I'm about to turn 20. And she's like, maybe you should listen to me more. I'm like, am I going to, though? <laughs> like, we all know that. No, but in 10 years, you're going to look back and go, wow. You know, because I do that all the time. You know, all the back and think about the things I put my mother through and I'm like, oof, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, but those little things are just like, it makes a difference. And, you know, whether I'm always the stubborn one, so I'm always like, I want to do this. I'm not going to do this. But, you know, once you start something, then it's like, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe, you know, and maybe it's something that you're like, okay, this is definitely not for me. Like, I tried it. We're going to move on. We're going to find someone else. But, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, 
this is actually kind of nice. This might be able to work, you know, things like that. And you just keep moving on with it and see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's funny. I was listening to, um, he's an author and he was a part of Delta Force, Tom Satterley. His story is incredible, but I listened to a, a brief that he gave my husband's unit and he said, you'll never truly fail if you don't stop trying. Mm-hmm. Right. So like you fall down, you get up, you mess up, you yeah. get up. Like you will never have failure if you're continually trying. And I just, that really stuck with me because it's so true. Right. And I mean, I always say failure is great, right? Those are lessons learned. That's where growth comes from. All of that is good, but that resonated with me. Like, wow, you are not failing if you are always trying. I mean, some things, you know, we're so, I think it's so ingrained in us, you know, this day and age to have everything instant, right? Yes. You know, I'm, I'm blessed enough to remember the days of AOL and waiting five minutes to sign into the internet, but <laughs> even I am like, I'll get annoyed when I don't have service or whatever. We're so yes. need to have it fast and furious that we forget that some things take time, you know, like you don't learn a language overnight. You can't, you know, become a black belt in karate overnight. And it's okay if it takes you years to master a skill. And so I just, I really love that um, analogy. And I've been using it a lot. Like you will never fail if you keep, if you keep trying. And I've been saying it to my son and he's like, Oh, mom. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so true though. And even like on social media, we scroll through and we're like, Oh, you know, this person did this, but I could never do that. Like it would take me forever, but they did it so quickly. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to try that. And then you fail. And then, you know, you fall down, you make those mistakes and you're like, okay, this is over. Like, can't do this. Like you got to keep trying though. And social media looks like it's that instant thing of, you know, one post is like, okay, I can't do this. Other posts like, okay, I just did it. And so it's like, you never really know truly how long it took, you know, in between. You never, you never know that stuff. And so it's like, you have to put a little more effort and you have to give things a shot. You have to try and see what works and what doesn't work and then actually make your decision of, okay, do I move on? Do I keep going? Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's okay if things aren't for you, right? If you've literally yeah. tried and given it your all, you know, we're always going to encounter those things. That just Math is not for me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you That's <know>? me. <laughs> Math is not for me. It's why, you know, my master's is in social work and it focuses on writing. Like I did enough math to get by and I could, you know, survive, but I will never be a math teacher. I don't want to build a house. You know, it's completely fine. And that's all right. (laughs) Yeah. And like I was even saying it, um, I'm a college student right now. And so I was saying in this past semester, um, I was taking anatomy and physiology too. And so everyone was like, you're so good at this. Like I had an A all semester. Like I was just thriving in the class. And they're all like, how are you doing so well? How are you doing so well? And I'm like, this is my subject. Like don't put a math, like math problem in front of me. Don't give me like, not that great with writing. You know, I'm, I'm actually pretty good with writing. I'm not that great with reading, (laughs) like reading comprehension and things like that. So I'm like, don't give me any of that. Don't put any of that in front of me. If you put a diagram of the human body in front of me and ask me to label it, I got you covered. Like that is just my strong suit. But, you know, everyone has their strong suit. And for Mm -hmm. some people, it's math. Some people, it's reading. Some is writing, anatomy, whatever it may be. And so you have to figure out exactly what that is and you know for some people it takes a little longer to figure it out and some people like 
You're like, oh, I got this. And it's instant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, yeah, I have a master's degree, but it took me, you need two math classes to get your associates and then carry on. I took seven. I had to start at the very beginning. And I mean, that's daunting, right? For someone who literally hates math, it would have been so easy for me to be like, nope, don't need this college thing, like done. But I suffered and cried and bled through it, you know? (laughs) So there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I even had to take I took started taking college classes in high school. So I was a little earlier than most people were. I could have taken more high school math classes, but I just started with college math classes at a certain point. And so, but I had to go back to the very beginning. You needed college algebra first, and then you needed another math class and to get your your two, your six credits to graduate for your associate's degree, for your bachelor's degree, and then but I had to start with intermediate algebra. I had to take a step back. And I was like, oh, and that was the hardest class of my life, <laughs> like mm-hmm. hardest class ever. And so I had to take that and then I could take college algebra and then I had to take statistics and then a prerequisite for chemistry and physics is pre-calculus. So I had to take Ooh. that. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, when does the math classes end? I think they're finally <laughs> over though. <laughs> they're all done with. But yeah, like you have to figure out you know, exactly. And school's the hardest place to do that. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest place, but it's also the easiest. Like you can figure out which subjects like you, you like more, you find easier, but then you have to suffer through the hard ones. Mm-hmm. It's life though. It is. You have to give and take some and you have to struggle and you have to suffer through many points in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. No, I agree. And then you have a good lesson, right? Suffering through the math for the good stuff at the end. Exactly. You can do whatever you want as long as you can get through those two math classes, those two English classes, whatever it may be. Completely agree. Yes. What is, have you noticed, you know, kind of comparing your childhood, you know, more of a civilian, you know, style childhood to now your military kids' childhood? My gosh. Well, I would say, you know, comparing the two is kind of easy because um, I didn't have like the most stable childhood either. You know, my father, I'm pretty vocal about it, you know, uh, was an alcoholic. And so there was a lot of, you know, him being in rehab and us moving from place to place. And in terms of elementary schools, you know, I went to three, three different elementary schools, two different middle schools. Because we were moving, there was, you know, so you never knew where you were going to be district. High school was the most stable period. And that was when I was living with my, you know, grandparents. And so I think I can relate quite a bit um, to what my son, you know, goes through having to move around. The only thing I would say is that my friend group always stayed the same. You know, I was lucky enough that that was, you know, a constant. And I mean, I guess that would be a benefit of technology these days, too. You know, we've given him, finally, he wanted it a lot longer or a lot you know sooner we've given him you know kids Facebook messenger so that he can talk to friends that he's moved away from um and stay in touch with the friends that he's really close with you know whereas he couldn't before so yeah I can relate a lot to it but I mean it it takes a lot of grit to be able to pick up and move and I mean as a spouse I think I was always excited and you know ready for the next adventure so I never really minded moving, but I also had to learn how to guard my own heart. And not to say that I put a wall up by any means, but 
the first couple moves, you know, I would dig in and I made such close friends that it was just literally heartbreaking to move. And I finally realized that, yes, I can, I can build friendships and I can, you know, plant roots, but I have to always have that constant in the back of my mind that this is temporary. It's not going to be forever. And you almost have to have those self-talks, you know, with yourself. And so that made moving easier. You know, Um, if you talk to any military spouses, they'll tell you like once orders come in, you sort of break up with your friends a little bit. You step back, you start easing, you know, out of the social stuff because you're trying to prepare, you relocate, you kind of stay within yourself. And then maybe you start, you know, communicating with those friends again after you've stabilized, but it's a whole process, you know, and I imagine that that's similar to what kids go through too you know, or at least I don't have to ask him. I think that'd be a really good question. Like what he does internally, you know, every time we move. Yeah. It's definitely weird, you know, moving as an adult and moving as a child, like there, you know, I haven't moved as an adult yet, but it's definitely a difference. Like, you know, I talk to people who are like, I haven't moved out yet, so I'm still living at home. But talking to my friends who have moved out, it's like, okay, well, I've left all of my high school friends, you know, wherever they are. And, like, you know, most of the time you all just disperse to whatever colleges you're going to. And so they're like, okay, you know, kind of left those friends and I'm making new friends in college. So similar to what you were saying of, you know, you kind of have to break up a little bit and then make your new friends and, like, you know, reconnect with your old friends and everything like that. But then as a child, it's like I always experienced that heartbreak, like that intense heartbreak of, okay, I lived in Ohio for nine years. My dad got hurt. We moved to Texas. And so that was kind of like a pretty immediate move. Um, He got hurt on November 20th. And then it was December 22nd. My sister and I flew down to Texas. Like my mom had already left. My sister and I came a little later with a friend. And so it was like, you know, we had that instant move and, you know, we didn't have the time to prepare. We were not ready to move. We mm. were like, okay, he's on a deployment. Like we're not moving. Like it's going to be another, you know, probably year until, you know, he's mm-hmm. back. And then like, you know, we're, we were going to, we were reserve family. So we were going to try and go to Florida and go active um, and whatever that process may have been. But then we were preparing for that but then we were like okay well now we have to move now and like prepare for another route um and so it was hard leaving those friends and I got to Texas and I was like I'm moving back to Ohio I don't know where y'all are going but I'm going back to Ohio and you know at nine years old you can't just you know pack up your stuff and and leave Mm -hmm. I was like I'm gonna go back to Ohio when we're done here we're all just gonna move back to Ohio we're gonna move back home everything's gonna go back to normal but that wasn't you know, the case, you know, my dad wasn't able to, um, we went back and visited our old house that we had and, you know, his wheelchair didn't fit down the hallway. It barely fit in the bathroom. We lived on a hill. So like, you couldn't really get the wheelchair up the hill. The driveway was too narrow. The doorways Mm -hmm. were too narrow. So like you had all of those inconveniences where it was like, okay, well, we can't move back here like that. This is, this is it. It's like, we're done. Um, and plus, you know, the snow, the cold, like we could not do that anymore. We're like, okay, Texas kind of spoiled us. Like we Mm -hmm. need warmer temperatures and then moving to Florida, you know, it was that, okay. I literally, again, we were just saying like looking back, feeling bad for your parents. I hated my parents for three years because we moved to Florida and I left Mm -hmm. all my friends in Texas. And, you know, by that point they had all 
pretty much moved on to somewhere else. I didn't have contact with them. None at all. Sure. I had like my parents bought me. I have a younger sister who's 15 months younger than me. And so they bought us a little um, a little cell phone to use when they leave the house and we'd be home alone. Um, and it literally had this sliding keypad on it and had like the little phone. And I refused to use it because all my friends were officer kids. And so they all had iPhones because iPhone 5C had just came out. And I was like, I'm mm-hmm. not not using this. This is not not what my friends have. Um, But it was hard to stay in contact. And that's one of the biggest struggles I dealt with is I had no contact back with my friends. So having like some sort of contact, being able to contact, you know, my family, my friends now, it's like, okay, I think this move is going to be a little easier because like I can actually process it and be like, Okay, this is actually not so bad. Mm-hmm. No, completely. And um, you know, people don't think of it this way, but moving suddenly, you know, and then obviously, you know, your father's injury, like all of that, is very traumatic, right? Right. You know, we think of post-traumatic stress. We think of um, we think of wounded warriors, right? We think of combat, mm-hmm. but that's not what it is. It's a divorce. You know, it's witnessing violence. Um, it's it's so much more, you know, and you can't put it in a box, you know? And so like your reaction, how you felt, I mean, all very normal because it was all very traumatic. And I, Mm -hmm. you you get taken away from the support that you knew, like it's, it's a, it's a process to work through. Yeah. And, you know, again, like post-traumatic stress goes multiple areas and it's not just the, the, you know, veteran who experiences it, you know, the family goes through it, the, you know, close friends go through it, you know, with you, like my mom's best friend, you know, she was the one who took care of my sister and I for a month after his injuries. So like, you know, she was with us, she was walking us through that. She's like our second mom now, because, you know, my mom and her are so close, like, and then we were with her for so long. And, you know, it's not just, one person who experiences it. It's mm-hmm. a whole group. And I mean, I'm sure you can even relate to that as well. And then, you know, stacking the military life on top of it, you know, it's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I guess that would be the lesson for any civilians, right? Is to mm-hmm. know how multifaceted it can be, you know? Um, and I mean, as a spouse, you kind of get tired sometimes of hearing, Oh, you're just so strong. Oh, you're so this. No, like we're human beings and we do the best we can like anyone else, you know? Um, I don't think that our struggles can be any harder than a civilian struggle. I also think about first responders often, you know, and what they go through and how they really don't have the support that we do, you know? And that's part of the reason that, you know, our nonprofit inspire up, we don't just serve the military community. We were very, very, very committed to making sure that first responders were included because very often they're not, you know, mm-hmm. and they absolutely deserve every, you know, range of support that we can give. Yeah. The military goes out short. A lot of our fighting is done, you know, in enemy areas and enemy, enemy territories, but these first responders are, you know, they're like the first line of defense there you know, fires, they're there, you know, whatever the case may be, like, 
that's who we call first. Like we don't have like a direct line to the military to be like, Hey, like, you know, you're needed here. We have a direct line to the first responders and, you know, they're there in a blink of an eye to take care of a situation that may need to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what is inspire up and kind of what, you know, how was it created and things like that? Um, so in 2019, myself and um, two of my good friends who are also military spouses, we were asked to lead a campaign for Giving Tuesday. And we came up with Giving Tuesday Military, and our whole mission was going to be to rally our community for one million acts of kindness. Because we just felt like we have this unique opportunity. We're literally in every corner of the world. If we're going to make a grassroots boots on the ground impact, we can do it. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't about us, right? We were empowering ambassadors, bases everywhere to step forward and say, okay, we're going to do kind acts, whether that's, um, you know, you know, we had high schools doing notes on, you know, lockers. We had people focusing on, you know, serving the homeless, whatever it looked like, we were going to empower you and support you to do that. So we did that in 2019. It was crazy. It was amazing. And it went so well that when it was over, we said we wanted to do this all year long. And you kind of need a nonprofit. Like we were doing everything out of pocket and, you know, we needed an organization and we knew we wanted to do more and not just um, giving Tuesday. And so in February of 2020, right before the pandemic. <laughs> it's the best timing. Right. Uh, we became established as a 501c3. But you know what? I wouldn't change anything because we launched on April 1 and our first program was Love Mill Kids. We actually um, sewed uh, hearts made from used uniforms and mailed them out to 500 military kids completely free, thanks to our sponsors. And that's really what launched us. And then from there, you know, we developed other programs. You know, we have impact grants. We continue with Giving Tuesday. Um, We started doing um, Spark and Inspire boxes, which basically are just boxes filled with really awesome stuff that hopefully make you smile that went out to random people that could win them, you know? And, uh, but that's really, that's, that's how we started is we wanted to, we wanted to inspire others. We wanted to, you know, find a way to make an impact, not just in one space, but all over, you know, cause we all have that power. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where it came from. And that's where we are today. You know, we just had our first conference in person conference with a hundred spouses in November and it was amazing and we're hoping to do it again for 2022 but yeah that's inspire up yeah and that's incredible and like you know the military community is so huge where there's literally someone every country in the world like you know we're all over the place you know the soldier doesn't do it alone there's always like a spouse or some sort of family member they're supporting them and so you know it's so easy to just connect the entire world together under one thing and start, you know, giving others hope and giving others that feeling that they're appreciated. Mm-hmm. Completely. And, you know, purpose, purpose is huge, right? You know, there's mm-hmm. been studies done, uh, especially in the military spouse realm where like employment can change so much, right? Because you feel that purpose. And I think the same can be said of giving back, right? You know, we've proven that there's a helper's high. Like when you do good for someone, you know, you have that rush of happy hormones. And so if we can create opportunities and ways for community building 
and purpose, like that is an impact, right? And that's what Giving Tuesday does. You know, when I look back just on this year's campaign, you know, we had an ambassador in 40 out of 50 states and we were in five countries. And wow, like what they were able to do, what they're still doing and like how it makes them feel and how that feeling spreads like a wave, you know, Um, that's pretty special, you know, to feel like you belong. Yeah. And once you start, you know, giving back or, you know, being that helper, you really don't stop. Like there's something in you, you know, that's like, okay, like, you know, again, that going back to the, this isn't that bad, this, you know, we can easily do this. And everyone looks at service learning or volunteering and it's like, ooh, like you really Mm -hmm. want me to do that. I came into college and they're like, you need 80 service learning hours to graduate. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get 80, you know, in Mm -hmm. four years. But here I am in my second year and I've already got 88 because it's like once you start something you're you just keep going, you keep chipping away at that block and then you're like, okay, this is actually Mm -hmm. not bad. This is fun. This is easy. And sometimes it's not always fun. Like you have to do the dirty work a little bit too. But once you find your groove, you find your niche, it's like, this is actually fun. This is helping others and why not? Mm -hmm. And I think too, like a key piece of advice for anyone who's feeling kind of like the, uh, is to seek out projects that make you happy, right? Yeah. Maybe it's working with shelter pets. Maybe you really, really love animals. You know, go do a, a drive for like old blankets and towels. Like they go through those so fast, you know, go into the shelter, you know, walk the dogs, you know, play with them, whatever it is. Like they're hurting, especially in the winter months, you know, right before Christmas, you know, um, most nonprofits and shelters will tell you they have this, you know, rush of volunteers, right? Because it's the holidays, everybody is feeling warm and they want to give back. But then winter sets in, you know, and they're, they're, they're really kind of lost, you know, and COVID impacted that a lot too. Um, Lack of volunteers. So find what you like and what you're passionate about. That makes a difference too, I think, in how you approach it. Yeah. Because if you have that passion already towards something, you know, a lot of people love animals. And so like, you know, it's, nobody thinks necessarily about going to the shelter and being like oh I love animals like you can spend some time with animals help to care for them or you know Mm -hmm. doing those drives nobody thinks about that automatically but once you're like okay I love animals I can do this or I love writing I can do this I love you know learning I can you know do this and help someone else learn like Mm -hmm. once you start connecting those dots of finding what you're passionate about and finding a way that you can relate that to helping others, it's so easy. And you don't even realize that it's necessarily working. working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, completely. And I mean, even us, you know, one of the things that we're going to work on this year with Inspire Up is um, almost having like an intern program, if you will, right? Um, because as you said, you know, you need those service hours and that's something that we can provide, you know, on Letterhead. Because we can't do it. I mean, right at this point, you know, it looks like we're shining, right? You look at our website and all the programming and we do work really hard, but we are four military spouses who also have full-time jobs and families. And so coming into 2022, we're hoping to start an internship program, someone that wants to come on board and maybe they're really passionate about social media and, you know, creating great content. Well, here we go. You know, we can, we can create this position for you. You're helping us. And um, everybody wins kind of thing. And so 
I love what you said. Yes. Find what you're passionate about. You know, contact nonprofits. They're desperate, you know, for your help. You know, we're, we're excited to take on, you know, some volunteers and it doesn't necessarily have to be someone in college either. You know, we have high school kids that are doing great stuff for us too. Yeah. And it's not like a bad thing to say, you know, we need help or like, you know, you have to be able to ask for help and, you know, once you ask for help, then it's like, okay, like, you know, I can focus more on this or like, I'm sure you guys will be able to have more time with your families at that point too. You won't be working, you know, as hard on this stuff, but, you know, it teaches someone else and like helping yourself get more time to, you know, focus on other things is going to help someone else with, you know, service learning hours or, you know, figuring out what they want to do in life, like a lot, social media is huge right now. And so someone doing social media, that could easily turn into a job like anywhere Mm -hmm. else because every company now more or less is on social media. So again, you're helping others at that point too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's such a a great point, figuring out what you're good at and what you're going to do, you know, just getting my associates, as you know, you need 60 credits, basically, right. to get an associates. I had like 90 something, because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's what I love about these opportunities. And it's a paid opportunity does not necessarily translate as what's most important on a resume, right? You know, companies, organizations, they want to see that you have a full range of capabilities. And so this is a great way to kind of step in and almost play around. And, and figure out what you truly enjoy doing while also building up your experience. Exactly. The more you can build your resume, the better you look. And again, it's not just those paid jobs or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's not working for these huge companies while all that looks great and all. It's working in your community, you know, helping others. It's those volunteer um, positions that look the best sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um And sure, you know, you can work for Apple or for, you know, whatever the company may be. And, you know, that's great and all. But, you know, look in your community. Look and see, like, what little things you can do to make a difference, too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think more and more, you know, bigger corporations are asking you what you do to serve. Yeah. You know, they want to know what you're doing. It's it's an important part of morale, of culture. You know, it's not just, you know, this this race anymore. Yeah, and what you're doing, you know, on the outside of your job it can be more important than your actual job. You know, having your community behind you, having someone who is relying on you can be more important than, you know, what you're actually doing in your job. Because, you know, who knows, you could be sitting behind a desk all day, you know, mm-hmm. doing whatever it may be. And sure, it's important. Sure, it's, you know, keeping a business running. But, you know, you have to figure out ways that you can be in your own community and start to inspire others and help others and encourage them as well. You nailed it. 100%. It's definitely important. And it's, you know, it gets overlooked at many times. Mm -hmm. It does. It absolutely does. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being on and sharing, you know, your journey from, you know, no military life to, you know, being in the military life and your kids' stories and inspire up. Oh, 
yes. No, thank you for having me. Um, I think what you're doing is huge. You know, it's really important. And um, I'm going to make my son listen, not necessarily to this podcast <laughs> and me, but to yours. I think it'll be great for him. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of Military Child podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms, or you can send an email to grace.of.a.military.child at gmail.com. Tune in next Thursday to hear another incredible journey.